The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. This episode talks about suicide and thoughts of self-harm. Listener discretion advised. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 10, Don't Believe Everything You Think. And episode 10. Wow, here we go, huh? You know, we also uh, enjoy some of the compliments we get, and it's not just a kind of toot our own horn, the more positive messages we get on uh, things like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to the podcast um, really helps us kind of, gosh, you know, this is going to date me, move up the charts, so to speak. And the more we move up the charts, the more people who see this, the more you share it on social media, the more people see this. And that really continues the conversation, which as you know, if you're a longtime listener, <laughs> long time, 12 <laughs> episodes, then you know that's what we're all about is, is starting this conversation. And I'm, I'm getting people that were are telling me in public that it's like this is – they're learning so much, Nikki, because of the information that you're sharing and they've shared with other people. And it's nice to hear. Um, and again, we just ask you for those – reviews because that helps other people see it and we get to help even more people. Which is kind of what this is all about. That's and what it is. We got a really cool uh, review from someone and I would like to read that okay. uh, for this episode. Um, Laura says, so helpful. I originally started listening to this podcast because of knowing the host, one personally and the other more so just name to face. My husband and I had acknowledged in early uh, summer of 2021 that something was going on with our six-year-old son. Mm. He's showing lots of anger. And we're on the wait list to see a behavioral health therapist. While we wait, though, the episodes here have been so helpful and eye-opening, particularly the episode Family Matters. Keep up the great work. So thank you, Laura, for submitting that review. Um, that helps us so much. Absolutely. And uh, episode eight was the Family Matters, where we spoke to uh, the Beeler family, who was nice enough to come on and be very open and honest about how they live with anxiety. Uh, their 12-year-old was the one who was first diagnosed with it, but then found out through therapy that they all have it. And even the adults are like, we probably had this in childhood. We just never knew what it was because nobody talked about it. So that's what we're here to do is talk about it. And this episode, Nikki, we talked about don't believe everything you think. And it makes me think of episode four, which was called Welcome to Your Brain, where you so nicely kind of broke down the three parts of the brain that really deal with anxiety and and decision making and, and the, the brainstem where it's the fight or flight mechanism. And then you've got the, the prefrontal uh, cortex. You did it so much better. Go listen to episode four. I'm not going to sit here and regurgitate <laughs> it because, well, I can't. We already did it. I could have I was thinking about it, but this episode is worried about thinking and what your brain does. Your brain is so important to your body, but it does what it does without thinking, pun sort of intended. So how do we start this conversation about don't believe everything that brain tells you? Okay. So thoughts are pretty darn important when it mm -hmm. comes to, well, everything, um, but very specifically childhood mental health. Thinking um, can be at the heart of a lot of difficulties. And so um, I wanted to start by introducing the thought triangle. And this is this is kind of how I and many therapists in this uh, field look 
at thinking. So um, picture a triangle, okay? Mm -hmm. And the the peak at the top, I would put uh, the word thoughts. I would write that right next to that peak. And then if you go down um, to the, the right side of the triangle, I would put feelings. And then if you go to the left bottom point, I would put behaviors or actions. And so that triangle is kind of, a, it, it's a one perspective of showing how all of those things are interconnected. So how we think impacts how we feel, which impacts how we behave. Mm. And then how we behave tends to create situations that then lead to more thinking, feeling, and behaving. And it's it kind of becomes cyclical at some point. Okay. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a silly example to illustrate how you know different people can have different thoughts in the same situation and have completely different feelings and outcomes. Okay. Okay. So um, let's pretend for this example that you are you know, pretty much a, an Olympic ice skater. I mean, you <laughs> pretend. <laughs> you uh, you are very skilled. You can do like a a triple toe loop or whatever. Lutz and jump, loop jump, axle jump, salcho jump. Yeah. Yeah, you can Let's do pretend. all those things. You mm. love to ice skate. It is yes. it is your jam, okay? Especially the twizzle. Sorry, okay. <laughs> At the same time that you love that so much. I hate ice skating, and oh. I'm not actually pretending. I... I'm not good at this. This is not something I have skill in. But um, let's say that I've had a lot of experiences wherein I have ice skated and fallen, gotten hurt, maybe been mocked openly by my loving family and friends. Yeah, you know, fun. ice skating is not my jam. It is yours. So yeah. let's say we're hanging out and, and one of our friends comes in the room and says, hey, let's go ice skating. You know, your first thought. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's go. And then you might feel how? Very excited. Maybe a little... Um egotistical that I can show off some of my moves in front of my <laughs> friends. Although I, I skated in the uh, old Navy parking lot the other day and it did not end well. Okay. So uh, maybe that metal face plant. Yeah. So that's, how that ended. Yeah. That's rough. That's rough. So, so you're excited. Yeah. You're, you're feeling very excited. Your, your first thought was, yes, let's do it. Mm -hmm. What do you think my first thought was? Um, no, I don't want to do this Yes, uh, because Absolutely I'm going to be, not. I'm going to get embarrassed. I'm not going to enjoy it. I would like to do something fun, but this doesn't sound fun. Yeah, I don't have time to go to the emergency room today. Yeah. I don't want to do it, right? So, yeah. Plus, it's a new year. Your your co-pays has started over. Your deductible. You don't want to go to the ER. I actually can't afford to go yes. to the ice skating rink today. <laughs> uh, and so my feelings about that are going to be pretty, you know, grumpy. Let's put right. it that way. Grumpy. And grumpy so then, there. you know, you can imagine my my actions. I might, you know, pout and whine and complain all the way there. And while we're there, I'm certainly not going to be hurrying to lace up my skates and get out there. And, you know, maybe I'll sit and isolate. Maybe I'll, you know, be very verbal about my displeasure. But obviously, the two of us had two very distinct different responses. Okay? Right. I mean, you're setting the tone, how you're feeling. You, you, Even if you go and don't fall down and maybe you do have a glimmer of fun, your brain's already told you you're not going to enjoy this activity. Yep. I have decided from that, that my very first thought, this is doomed, right? Mm -hmm. Your very first thought, you could go and fall down 10 times, but because you love it so much and you don't have this negativity attached to it, you know, that thought set the tone for you to have a great time. And so that's just one silly example. But, you you know, if you look at any number of situations, our initial response is a thought and that thought determines the feeling and then our reactions to things. And so it's a it's a useful, the, the triangle image is kind of a useful way to look at it. Um, if you're looking at your child, you know, who appears to be having some negative emotions or maybe, you know, some behaviors that clearly are rooted in a negative emotion, if you do like a little bit of, you know, investigation, thinking backwards, like, I wonder what they were thinking just before 
um, that meltdown or before, you know, things escalated to where they were. Uh, maybe they were thinking, I don't want to do this, or I'm not good at this, or something bad is going to happen. There's there's almost always a powerful thought at the heart of a difficult emotion. And that's why I think it's so important for parents to kind of be aware of the role of thoughts, um, because it it does, it's there, it's there. And so um, that's, that's why we want to talk about this. Sure. So if you have a kiddo that is very open with their thoughts and emotions, even if it's after the fact of when you're back in the the prefrontal cortex in the green zone, so to speak. Great. But then you've got some kiddos who are younger and just now showing signs of anxiety at two, three, four, even five years old that can't really verbally express how they're feeling. Yep. What do we do to help those kiddos? So that's that's trickier, you know, and, yeah. and even if you've got a kid who is very verbal, that doesn't mean they want to talk about their thinking. And and it's important to realize that, again, even kids who are verbal and, and really good at talking about things, they probably don't know the difference between a thought and a feeling. In fact, mm. in my practice, you know, I, I love to ask that. OK, tell me how you would what would you think if this happened? And they'll be like, I would be mad. <laughs> no, that's how you would feel. But let's, <laughs> let's why would you be mad? What would the thought be there? So most kids don't differentiate between those things. They really it's just a, a jumbly mess up in there heads. And so um, it takes a lot of time and development for them to be able to go, huh, I thought this and then I felt this and then that's why I did this. And, you know, sometimes they get there on their own because, you know, life allows them to just kind of sort their thoughts out and break that down. And sometimes kids, you know, go to therapy and they can learn those skills to break those things down. But for those kids who aren't ready to break that down, who aren't necessarily at a point where they need to go to therapy, what can parents do? And I, I know I just asked you the same question. Well, Nikki, me. here's what you <laughs> Uh, but but there are some things that they can do. And, and part of it is, you know, one, keeping in mind that how your kiddo is thinking is playing a role. You know, they're, they're not just throwing a fit because they, they want steam to come out of your ears or they want you to be in a bad mood. They're, they're throwing a fit because some thought they had triggered a difficult emotion. And so when you can back up to that space. So it might be, oh, you got angry because you wanted the blue crayon and he said you couldn't have it and you thought that's not fair, right? And actually that that brings up a, another thing that I'd like to throw in before I talk about what to do. Um, kids, especially, you know, in the like grade school ages, they think in terms of what's fair and what's not fair. Yeah. So if you have children who you say the words, that's not fair, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, know that mm -hmm. that's developmentally appropriate. It's normal. And it's oftentimes a very triggering thought that leads to some negative emotion. And so for a lot of kids looking at things in terms of what's fair and what's not, um, if you know that that's how they're thinking, you can better understand why they're having a meltdown right now. It doesn't feel fair to them. And they're just trying to make things fair. Sure. So have a conversation with your kids then right after the fact. We've talked uh, several times um, in this season about a, a, an escalated child cannot be reasoned with. You can't teach life lessons. Anything like that is out the door. So once they're calmed down, you're calmed down. Although try to stay calm when the kid's not. We've talked about that too. Then you can go and you ask, what kind of questions do you ask the child to get a response? So you you might start by just observing. So when they're very little, mm. um, you might not ask a whole lot. You might just observe what you saw. So it might be, you know, you, you were angry because you thought he wasn't going to let you use the toy or you were angry because he, you didn't think it was fair that he got to do this and you did it. And so you pushed him. It's not okay to push, but 
I understand that you are upset. You know, like you, you, you observe that, that triangle, you like verbalize your observation of it. So okay. you thought I wasn't going to come home tonight and you were very fearful and anxious and that made you cry and hide under your bed. <laughs> Sometimes coming up with examples off the, off the top of my head doesn't always go well. That <laughs> one was right. silly, but, but the, the idea is that you, you kind of illustrate the triangle for them. Um, it sounds like you thought this and then you felt this and then you did this, but you can start at any point. You can go, you got really upset. So you pushed him and that's because you were thinking this. Okay. And and it's really just thinking of that triangle in your own mind and trying mm-hmm. to connect those dots. Because I tell you what, when my kids are doing something that's causing me some stress, um, if I can stop and think about that triangle, okay, so mm. she's feeling this way because maybe she thought this that's why she did that. I can stay calmer better. And then when they're ready, it's easier to have a conversation because now I've kind of organized it in my head. And as kids get older, you can kind of teach them about the triangle and you can say, hey, okay, so what were you thinking right before you did that thing? What what feeling did you have before you pushed your sister? Where did that feeling come from? And you can, you can kind of go back and forth in the triangle and try to help them fill in the gaps. Um, and if you think about it from the adult perspective, I mean, that would actually be my biggest first piece of advice here is think about the triangle in your own life. Mm. You know, when you have a strong emotional reaction, try to think back to what thought might've triggered it. Did you think, uh, yeah, that, you know, that's not fair, you know, don't take credit for my work. Uh, that's not okay. Did you think, you know, something that was scary or frightening because that would trigger an emotional response and then that would affect your behavior. So being able to kind of recognize yourself in that will help you become more prepared to recognize it in your children. Okay. I, th- I think I want to just kind of reiterate the triangle. So at the peak of the triangle, that is your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Then uh, toward the right, down toward the the peak, well, it's not really a peak, the little corner there is uh, the feelings. So your thought gives you your feelings, which then on the other end gives you the action. Yep, that way we exactly. kind of reiterate what we're talking about. So as we develop this conversation, the folks listening can go, okay, I remember thought, feeling, behavior. Hopefully I didn't just confuse everyone there. Okay. <laughs> well, this has helped me a lot too. And I'll throw in a little uh, ex- experience from my background in, in broadcasting. Interviewing children, it was always very difficult because nine times out of 10, the response to no matter what question you're asking, the answer is because, because why? Because, well, how come? Because. So trying to develop that conversation and ask whys and hows, the, word, the, the question how questions are always a good way to try to get response. But you're saying like sort of kind of put words in their mouth. So you, you know, got mad and hid under your bed because you were feeling anxious because you had the thought that you wanted the blue crayon and you got the red one and they could mm-hmm. nod their head yes or nod yes. no. Oh, yeah. it wasn't that. Well, was it because Sally said that you were being mean to her? Yes. Okay. So now we're on to something. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of trying to play with them and put that puzzle piece together, yeah. put the puzzle together with those pieces. And you can be tentative about it. And the good thing is that if if you do this often enough, kids will correct you. They will say, no, that's not what I thought at all. I thought this. And then you're like, oh, gold mine. You know, yeah. we're not, we're not gaslighting our children. We're not telling them how to think or feel like that's, <laughs> That's not the goal, but it's it's going, you know, using the evidence that you have, what pieces do you see? Take the facts, you know, and then and then build backwards and and teach them kind of to fill in those gaps too. And as they get older, I would say by the time they're, you know, I think six, seven, eight, you can start to say, Well, what did you think? And they you might get, Well, I was mad. Okay. Well, that sounds like a feeling, but what happened right before you were mad? Um, and then 
even older than that, 9, 10, 11, they're able to break down thoughts and feelings a little bit better. It takes practice. And I promise you, the first time you try to to think about the thought triangle and apply to your child, it's going to get murky and you're going to go, Nikki's an idiot. I don't I don't know why I listen to her. But That's when we pre- don't want your reviews. <laughs> <laughs> don't review until you've tried it a couple of times, please. Yes. Um, but the idea, though, is to just kind of have that concept in your mind, just like the the you know the three parts of the brain sort of gives you an organization for our responses. This is another way to look at that. You also pointed out in our last episode, uh, episode nine, Don't Stop Believing, that kids mature and just connections in the brain start to work. And so you're going to notice as your child gets older, they're going to be able to develop more skills um, to help self-regulate. They're going to develop more language skills. They're just going to mature because the human brain doesn't fully mature until age 25. That's a long time. Which means you have a long time to help them structure how to think about and how to look at things and and the perspective that they have can change and develop and evolve over time. Um, So that's really important. And what we're talking about here that, you know, kind of illustrating the triangle for them, you know, you, you, you felt this way because you thought this and here's what you did doing that over time, it's a form of kind of structuring and and giving them some organization to that like jumbly mess up in their heads. And it's Mm -hmm. it's giving them the words and um, concepts that they need to kind of break it down and and better understand their own things. Um, And as I'm sure we can all relate, like adults walking around that don't understand their own thoughts and feelings are more difficult to deal with than adults who do. So if we can use these skills, even if it's hard, even if it doesn't work the first 15 times, it makes a big difference in the long run because your kids are getting exposed to some stuff, some skills that will make adulthood so much easier. And that's for any kid, not just those mm-hmm. with anxiety. That's Absolutely. really any kid can benefit from the triangle. Good. I like that. I like that. So other negative thoughts um, that we're going to go down this road here of not believing everything you think. I'm thinking of some kiddos that are like, you know, nobody likes me or I am awful at everything I do. Uh, I myself, I always, I kind of joke that I played sports. I played just about every sport I could as a kid and I was awful at all of them. So I never took a liking to sports. Well, you know, yeah, okay. I was awful at all of them, but (laughs) some kids think that they're just bad at everything or nobody likes me. Everybody picks on me. How do you stop those thoughts? Those are tricky because there's some patterns in there. Okay. Uh And these, these patterns are, they kind of, kind of become habits after a while. I'm going to try not to go down the rabbit hole with this, but there are thought errors or thinking errors that we all kind of engage in, not just kiddos, not just people with anxiety or, or, or mental health concerns, um, but all of us are guilty of certain thought distortions. And when we engage in those on a regular basis, we tend to have very limiting thoughts like, I'm not good at any sports, or I'm terrible at math, or I'm a terrible student, or people don't like me, or whatever the thing is. And so uh, one one type of thought distortion or thinking error would be generalization, where you take one bad experience and sort of apply that to everything. So, you know, I got hit in the face with a volleyball <laughs> twice as a spectator. So I, <laughs> so I have <laughs> generalized. And you'll see it coming. <laughs> I don't really want to watch the game. Um, you know, but so I've generalized that to, to mean that I am not even good at spectatoring. You know, like I, is spectatoring a word? I don't think it is, it is but I, 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 I've made it a word. I'm, I'm not even good enough at sports to sit and watch them. And so I've generalized that to all of it. Well, you know, I had two unfortunate experiences and, and probably lots and lots of other experiences where I did not get hit in the face with a volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to focus on those two negative ones. And, you know, kids do that all the time. If they have one kid who's mean to them or doesn't want to play with them on the playground, well, nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be my friend. So we, we tend to generalize. Uh, we might also 
maximize. We take a, a small thing and we make it bigger than it is. I do that one a lot. If I do something embarrassing, it's all I talk about for the rest of the day, right? Mm, yeah. um, I'm trying to remember what I did last week. And it was like at the point that other people were like, okay, okay, we're over it. Are you? Like, let it go. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> I, I'm not. I was not. I was still talking. About, I was maximizing this tiny little thing. I think I ran into someone and she was very grumpy about it and, and I felt terrible. And so I just spent the rest of the day kind of like mentally like beating myself up. I did this really bad thing. I might have done a million other good things, but that didn't matter. And so we we maximize, we generalize, we personalize. That's another thing that we do with our thinking. We take something that has nothing to do with us and we take ownership of it. So my boss is having a bad day and I look at her and I go, oh gosh, uh, I'm going to get fired. What did I do wrong? Uh, she might just, you know, have a headache. Like, why, why am right. I assuming that I'm the cause of whatever that look is on her face? And so those are all different thinking errors that are common for people and tend to trip us up and lead to those sort of bad thinking habits um, where we jump to, you know, very negative conclusions. And so I will, if I can, I'll find a, a list of some of the different types of thinking errors that are common. And I'll post those in the show notes because okay. I think sometimes um, when you can when you know it's a thing, you're more likely to catch it and you're more likely to notice it in your children. And then you can be like, oh, hey. Um, and so an example of how you might use that with your child, how you might apply this information is if you notice that your kiddo is saying, you know, I'm terrible at sports, you can say, wow, you had one really unfortunate, unpleasant experience. And now you've decided you're bad at all sports. What about those three times last week when you, you know, you hit a home run or you, made a touchdown or whatever it is people do with sports balls. I, I don't know how that works, but, uh, but so you, so you can kind of call out the thinking error and pause and kind of give the kid an opportunity to see the bigger picture. Um, it's, it's hard to change a thinking error until you recognize it. So that's why I think if I share that, that might be a helpful tool for folks. I think that would be good. That would be good. With the kids that are older, you can tell they're having thinking errors. Maybe they even tell you, like, get in the car. It's like, that was just awful. I hate soccer or basketball, whatever. What about the younger kids who can't verbalize stuff, yet we know they're having thinking errors because you said they happen to all of us. So what are some signs to watch for there or how do we help those kiddos? With kids that age, very little children, it's less likely to be a thinking error and more just like the start of negative thinking. And so your best bet there is is not necessarily to call out the error or, you know, talk with them about it, but it's it's more to just gently challenge it or model another response. And so it might be like, oh gosh, that was so hard for you. You had a really hard time with that. You know, let them kind of get through the, the limbic system part of their brain with the bad feelings that are there, then get them back to the green zone. And then you can say, gosh, let's think about all the things that went really well. Let's, you know, it, it's almost like you're, you're teaching them to look for evidence of good. Hmm. You're, you're modeling it yourself. Like the biggest thing when they're that little is, is just not showing them lots and lots of negative thinking yourself. And so when you do engage in negative thinking, they see it and they're more likely to internalize it and, and turn it into their own habit. So if, if you're noticing it in your kids, step one is, hmm, what are they hearing from you and how can you maybe catch these things as you're saying them? So if you are jumping to some conclusions or you're generalizing or you're being really negative in how you talk about your own experience, how can you catch that and say, wow, that was a really negative view. I'm going to think about some other reasons why that might have been really hard, or I'm going to think about a more positive way to look at this. Uh-oh. <laughs> Parent fail. <laughs> Just remember, kids are always watching you. And I like what you said there, too, about acknowledging the feeling. If the kid says that they're upset, it's not like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's acknowledging, yeah, they're struggling with that kind of thing. What happens when the, when the, the thoughts start to get 
more negative, more serious, and we'll we'll go to like self-harm, even possibly suicide, something that the child might have the thought and they're going, man, if I bring this up to mom and dad, they might get mad at me, so I'm going to keep it to myself. I mean, how do you, there's no on and off switch for that brain. That's true. That's, you know, this is, this is a much more complex area because you're talking about a wide range of developmental stages and ages and also uh-huh. causes. But I, I would say anytime that you are concerned that your child's thoughts have gotten very negative and very dark, it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask, you know, what have you been thinking about? What kind of thoughts run through your head? Um, do you think, I mean, you mentioned suicide and self-harm. Um, it's okay to say, have you thought about hurting yourself? Have you thought about anything like that? And um, it's not putting ideas in their head. Um, it's, it's, if it's there, it's there. You're, you, it's better to ask about it and let them say, know that. Say that again. Okay. It's not putting ideas in their head. Okay. I think that's really important because I think a lot of parents think that like, I'm going to avoid talking about suicide or self-harm because it's, I don't want them to know about it. But if they're having those thoughts or they, they probably already know about it. Maybe they've heard something at school or on YouTube or something. So you are not putting thoughts in their head. What you're doing is laying the groundwork for open communication, right? You said that so well. Okay. It's it's laying the groundwork for being able to talk about difficult thoughts. And I think that would be probably like the the moral of the story that I really want to hit home. And that is, you know, we should be talking about how we think. Um, if we create an environment where we can share our thoughts, no matter how dark or scary or troublesome they might be, um, we're just we're just more likely to to get through them and get to the other side. And I think normalizing for kids, uh, you know, that it's very normal to have negative thoughts. It's very normal at times to kind of mentally beat yourself up or to to think, I wish I wasn't here, that those things do happen, but that doesn't mean you should believe it. It doesn't mean that like going back to the title of the episode, mm-hmm. don't believe everything you think. A thought does not have to be a fact. And, and I think that especially as we get into like the teen years and we got a lot of angst and hormones and lots of just strong emotions going on, um, teaching kids to challenge their own thinking, to go, well, okay, so I thought that yesterday, but that didn't, didn't end up being true. So does that mean this thought might not be true? Um, and, and teaching kids at any age to, to find evidence to support, um, you know, their, their thought process. If, if a child is saying, you know, no one likes me, um, well, can you tell me the evidence of that? It, you know, tell me what makes you think that. What What's the proof that that might be true? And the majority of the time when if a kiddo is in the right state of mind and ready to have that conversation and, and they're like thinking and in the, you know, in the green zone, um, they'll be able to identify five or six people that do like them. And then that just sort of gradually helps them to let go of that negative thought. But I want to go back to what you said a minute ago when, you know, when you give them space to voice the thing, to talk about the difficult thought or the difficult emotion that's connected to that thought, um, that that helps so much. That's a lot of it for kids is just being able to be heard. Um, yes. Saying the negative thought out loud helps it lose its power. And so as parents, it, it is on us to create space to talk about the hard things, to ask the tough questions, to say, hey, you know what? I I'm wondering if you don't, you know, think very much of yourself right now. I'm wondering, do you like yourself? You know, what are the things that you're thinking? When kids can say that out loud, it stops being so powerful. And so regardless of the age, being able to talk about what you're thinking about is so important. So what if a kid comes to the parent and says, I want to kill myself or I wish I was dead? How does the parent react? Because that's going to be shocking to hear. It It is. It's, it's horrifying to hear. And it's, you know, I would say, one of a parent's, you know, worst nightmares is to to experience your child 
feeling that way or thinking that way. And and the the first thing that um, I would tell a parent to do in that situation is to, and this is so hard, Chad. Yeah, this is this is the part where you know if I'm talking to a parent about it, they they kind of look at me like, "Are you kidding me with this?" Um, but not get caught up in the the scary part of what they said. Don't get caught up in the, you know, they're thinking about hurting themselves or they're thinking about not wanting to be alive. Focus on what's behind that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is we, you know, don't say things like, oh, we don't talk like that, or we don't say things like that, or we don't, we don't do that here. That's not okay. Um, Those kinds of things don't do very much to help kids get over that hump. Right. Um, So what you want to do is talk to the emotion behind it. So if, you know, you can imagine if you're thinking that you don't want to be alive anymore, what's behind that is some hopelessness, right? What's behind that is a sense of, I am tired. I can't do this anymore. I don't think things are ever going to get better. I don't know what to do. I have a problem I can't solve, right? Those are the kinds of things that tend to be behind suicidal ideation. And so um, it can become kind of a, a, a mental escape hatch. You know, I can't fix this problem. Our brain's all day long trying to solve problems, right? right. And when you get a problem you cannot solve, and for young kids, it might be not having any friends or it might be their grades or it might be not getting along with one or other of their parents. Um, when you can't solve that problem, the brain goes, well, I've tried everything I can. Here's another option. And it kind of spits out that that idea of self-harm or or suicide. And, um, and so when parents can look at what's behind that and go, okay, so the brain was looking for an escape hatch. There's a problem they can't solve. They're feeling hopeless, powerless. Right. Those those kinds of things. That's what you want to talk to. And you want to go, gosh, you must be feeling, you know like your hands are tied. You must be feeling like you can't do anything to fix this problem. You must be feeling very alone or lost. When you can do that, when you can say those things instead of, oh no, we don't talk like that or we don't say that, you open the door for the kiddo to tell you how you're feeling, how they're really feeling, what's what's really going on for them. And this is this is a hard conversation. And and yeah. I mean, you know, I've got a lot of years of training and experience in this, and I still hate this conversation. And as a parent, I'm not sure how it would go with my kids. I, I know it would be very, very difficult. After a child has brought that to your attention and you've you've had the initial conversation, it is time to ask for help. It is time. Don't feel like you as the parent have to handle that all on your own. And don't hide it. Yeah, don't hide it. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be mad about it. You know, you're going to have feelings too. I'm not saying don't have feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're allowed to feel what you feel. Um, but there's there's no reason to to try to shut it down. There's no reason to feel like you can't reach out to someone because it's so hard. Will the, will the kid say that sometimes just to get a reaction? Or how do you know when they're truly needing help? So my stance on that is, I mean, yeah, probably. I, kids probably will say lots of things um, when they're when they're not being heard or or if they're just really upset and they haven't found the appropriate way to communicate what's going on. However, I think you kind of have to treat it the same regardless. Okay. Even if it's an attention getter, well, you know, pay attention, right? Sure. That's that's not a bad thing to do. I mean, you know, we certainly can get into where it becomes kind of a recurrent pattern where a, a kid will kind of bring that up every time things don't go their way. And that's where you kind of have to team together with, you know, your supports and figure out a, another solution to handling that to make sure the child is safe and not using that. But um, the majority of the time, if a child is verbalizing those things, there's some kind of difficult emotion behind it. And that is the thing that needs to be addressed, not not the suicidal stuff itself. That all leads back in, Nikki, with that triangle thought of talking to the thoughts behind the feelings mm-hmm. before the action happens. All right. It's, it's almost like, when the sex talk comes up too, 
it's very awkward um, and it's very easy to be like, oh, we don't want to talk about that now, but and we're not going to dwell on it much here because this, this is not that kind of podcast. But, <laughs> you know, it's just it's that open line of communication that you want to have with your children. So when they do get to more difficult decisions or thoughts in life, there's that open line of communication. So mm-hmm. keep them talking, right? We, we've talked a lot about the adults and what to look for in the in the children. What advice can we give to kiddos that always have that constant negative thought in their brain. How can they flick that switch and turn it off or at least get a dimmer to kind of dim them down a little bit and start to think a little bit more positively? Yeah. So I have a couple of ideas that would be specific to children and, and honestly, any age group. Um, I think I think all of these are, are pretty universal. I've used these with adults too. One idea is, you know, I, I call it a worry tree, but in this case, you could you could call it a, a negative thought tree. You can call it whatever you want to do, but um, it's it's getting you know a, a picture of a tree. You can find that on the just Google worry tree on uh, you know the internet and print that out. And kids can take that negative thought that's kind of kicking their butt or that that worried thought or whatever, and sort of literally write it on the tree. And then just every time they have one, it's like they're hanging it on the tree. Um, some kids will put that on their nightstand or near their bed and do that right before bed. Whatever negative thoughts they have floating around in there, they'll take them out and write them on the tree. And then they don't have to worry about them while they huh. sleep. And so that's kind of a, a visualization exercise that help kids kind of take that take that negativity out of there. Um, it, probably the the best one, and this is easier to describe than it is to get a kid to do. So hands up on that. Um, uh. But anytime you hear like a recurrent negative thought, getting your kiddo to practice turning that around and making it more reasonable um, is one of the, just the best life skills you can give them. And so for mm. example, if you've got a child running around going, uh, well, you and I have done this several times on the, on the podcast. And that is, I'm no good at math. I am terrible at math. Right. If that's my negative thought about math, how like sometimes it's just plain be- fact. <laughs> <laughs> and so in this case, yes, perhaps. Um, but let's say your kid hasn't yet proven that they're not good at math, but they're, uh-huh. but they're down on themselves about it. Uh, literally get a piece of paper and write, you know, I'm not good at math or I suck at math or whatever it is that they're saying. And then on the other side, like draw a line down, make two columns on the other side, help them to draft a sentence that is a little bit more reasonable. So maybe it's not like I love math and I'm a math whiz, but maybe it's math is challenging, but I'm going to keep trying, right? Something that just they can buy into. You don't want to have them write something that they absolutely don't believe because that's a waste of energy. But if you can get them to write that statement a couple of times, it, it kind of, you know, it's more likely that it will come up the next time. And so you can also coach them too. So if they've written out this more reasonable statement, the next time you hear them verbalize it, you can say, hey, remember that thing? Yeah. Let's try this. Get them to say it. They'll roll their eyes. You know, you might too, but, but the idea though is, is practice at, at reasonable ways of looking at things. Cool. I also just looked up, there is an, an app, Worry Tree, Anxiety Relief. Perfect. So I'm assuming you can just kind of type in your worries on that app and kind of get them out. So and it'll just if, hang it up there on the tree. That's awesome. Yeah. If you don't want a physical tree, then that's, mm-hmm. that's a, a nice 2022 way to look at things. Mm-hmm. Huh? Can you believe it's 2022? Right? Talk no, about that's... anxiety. Woo. I ain't crazy. One other idea for kids uh, to to help kind of practice more positive thinking mm-hmm. is just practicing and modeling gratitude. Um, it is much easier to think of things in a more positive light and kind of counter those negative thoughts if you're going, what am I grateful for today? Or what am I grateful for in this moment? And so you can get a gratitude journal. You can have a gratitude practice at the dinner table. Everybody lists three things they were grateful for today. Um, that's this kind of a thing. You really have to have you know parents being excited to demonstrate, even though your kids aren't going to be super excited about it. I mean, there's a really good chance they're going to be like, whatever, you know, but practice over time 
time is what builds the skill. And so when you can find gratitude, it is much harder to get stuck in the negativity. So just teaching that wherever you can is a good strategy for kids. Thank you for the reminder, because my son's therapist has asked us to do this in the morning and find something positive in which to look for that day. And we were doing it and we fell off the the wagon there. So thank you for that reminder, because I'm going to get that back on um, ASAP because that's that's a good practice to have too. Well, our next episode, episode 11, is uh, one that I'm looking forward to the most. In fact, when we started this podcast, Nikki, I thought this is the episode I want to start with. But, you know, you're the one who has the degree in in therapyism. So uh, you kind of- Therapyism. (laughs) Sure. You kind of uh, helped outline our season here. But the next one, helping versus overhelping. When you're- Helping your child versus helicopter parenting, so to speak. Boy, I can't wait for this. And I'm going to go ahead and get you my insurance information ahead of time so you can go ahead and bill me because it's going to be a therapy episode uh, for me, for sure. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to that one too. I have a, a lot of good ideas for families. Good deal. So look for that one in a couple of weeks. So we also want to remind you, you can interact with us on Facebook. We're at Scrambled Podcast. You can ask questions. You can message us. Um, We do keep teasing about having a a thing of like, give us your ideas. So we need to get that done too. Um, We're on Instagram as well at Scrambled Podcast. You can email us at thescrambledpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we also have a website, scrambledpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who could benefit from our podcast, please share this with them. We want to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you.